you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the After Hours Action Square and Weight Watchers reporting earnings moments ago. We'll be monitoring those conference calls to bring you the very latest from the C-suite. Plus, a crypto star is born. A 21-year-old has started his own hedge fund, and he says he's got a way to make money in Bitcoin, whether the cryptocurrency goes up, down, or nowhere at all. He'll be here to explain how to do just that. But first, we start off with the Fed and an unfamiliar sound. The sound of doves crying. <laughs> you know, nice. it's been a tough day in the markets when we bust out prints. Yep, investors were crying as a brand new Fed chairman. Jerome Powell testified before the House Financial Services Committee for the first time in his new role, and he sounded a bit more hawkish than investors were expecting. That sent the Dow down 300 points. You could say stocks got Powelled. The S&P closing on the lows as bond yields screamed higher. So let's get right to our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. He's back at headquarters. Steve, you say I can't Powell. get over the Prince reference. <laughs> Respect. Very cool. Here's the question. Will Powell be singing a different tune on Thursday? You know, that's possible. Look, Fed Chair Jay Powell was doing just fine in this inaugural testimony. So Congresswoman Maloney asked him, what would change the average Fed forecast from three rate hikes to four? He started off by saying that recent data had showed a strong economy, and here's what he continued with. We've seen uh, fiscal policy become more stimulative, so I think each of us is going to be taking uh, the developments between since the December meeting into account and writing down our new rate paths as we, as we go into the March meeting, and I wouldn't want to prejudge that. He said his own path was stronger, potentially stronger as well. J.P. Morgan put it well. He said today's comments appear to open the door for others on the committee to revise their forecasts as they see fit, and that Powell himself may be inclined to look for four hikes this year. That's what the 10-year thought. Right around 10.40 a.m., you can see the dollar strengthened, interest rates shot up as the day went by. Stock lice liked less and less of what they'd heard, or as you said, they'd been Powelled. Here are your probabilities. 97% chance for the first rate hike this year in March. 71% second rate hike in June. 65% for December. These are the Thomson Reuters probabilities. And the fourth rate hike, that's got a 26% probability. Here's the question. How deliberate did Powell mean to be in that comment? Could have been a rookie mistake. If so, he could come back Thursday when he sits before the Senate and redirect. Or, Melissa, it's possible that that's exactly what he wanted to say. He wanted the market to begin right now to think about that tail risk mm -hmm. of a fourth hike. You know, Steve, under his predecessor, Janet Yellen, there was this assumption that there was this Yellen put that uh, the Fed would take a look at how markets reacted and, and factor that into how they raise rates. Do you believe that there's a Powell put based on his testimony and Q&A? I believe we have to learn that yet. I think we learned today that this is a Fed chairman who thinks more and more about the markets. He said a couple times, you know, this is a good policy or that's a good policy because the market understand it, that understands it. That's clearly important to him.
At the same time, a guy who's more market-oriented may be less inclined towards intervention. So we're going to see sort of, I guess the, the question is, how Republican is this monetary policy, for example, compared to the more interventionist policies of Bernanke and Yellen? I will say the caveat on what I just said is important here because neither Yellen nor Bernanke, uh, well, certainly not Yellen, had this very strong fiscal impetus coming through the economy right now. Hey, Steve, by the way, you can shred a guitar pretty nicely yourself. Um, you know, Mr. Thank Powell, you, Mr. Well, Timmy. Most people know that, um, or they should. But look, Mr. Powell out there, say, there it is. <laughs> listen, listen. All right. He said also that, in my opinion, I see some data that, in my view, may change my view on inflation. Exactly. That, to me, was very shocking and says he stands out from other members of the Fed. Tim, can I just take a step back and just ask you, you say shocking, and, and I'm not sitting on money that I need to trade today or tomorrow or this hour or that hour. Right. But if the end result of this is 100 basis points or one percentage point of tightening this year yes. versus 75, is that really that shocking? If I give you in that context two and a half to three percent growth and unemployment rate that's <laughs> yes. low and inflation around two percent. I think that's kind of cool in that context, and I, I don't really have a problem with that. If I see the Fed going to, you know, uh, 100 basis points and I'm not getting the growth along with it, then I'd be concerned. Well, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with an economy that's growing and a Fed that's reacting to it. It's what we all wanted. But if you look at valuations on equities, you can look at price to sales, you can look at price right. to book, you can make an argument that valuations aren't pricing in uh, a three and a quarter, 10 year, aren't pricing in this type of volatility, and you immediately change the valuation construct. So yeah. I, I hear you. I'm not uh, freaking out here, but I'm telling you where the market is positioned but, but versus don't I what, still, what they got today. That doesn't change, and I don't want to make this into a discussion between you and me because there are some fine people around the table there. Much smarter but, than me. But, 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 but aren't we still talking about <laughs> earnings that are going to be supposed to rise by 15 or 16 percent with a good chunk of that because of tax cuts this year? Yes, uh, although, again, I, I think if you look at equity valuations right now, they tell you a lot of that good news. I, I am very constructive on, on earnings. I think they're going to be better as the year goes on. But the market's reaction every right. time we Fed minutes, CPI, wage data in the payroll, every time we get the market feeling like we're offsides on the Fed's view on policy and the pace of it, uh, markets start to follow. Yeah. By the way, Steve, everybody here, Sorry. most people here on the desk do say that it does make a difference, 25 basis points in the context of the markets. I think from an economist's point of view, it doesn't make a big difference. In the long-term well, point of view, it doesn't make a difference. But right now, right here, to say four versus three, that's a big difference, especially for a market that hasn't even 100 percent embraced three versus two. I've got a five- or ten-year horizon on my personal right. portfolio. And 25 basis points. Now, if you want to engage in a discussion, <laughs> right, 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 you guys, you high frequency guys, you've already lost your, your, your attention spans already moved on. But listen, um, you know, if you want to talk about 2019 and where the Fed's going to end up, if that's freaking the market out, that makes a, a, a better case to me right. than the 25 right. bips this year. We got to go. Our attention right. spans over. <laughs> See you, Steve. Uh, thank you, Steve. Go on. So, so with rates on the rise and a hawkish Powell at the helm, should investors start fearing the Fed? I, te I kick it off to you, I Steve. I don't know what that do you they're think? fearing the Fed, but I think obviously this did surprise everybody, right? I mean, everybody, mm -hmm. I think, generally has thought, okay, we're, we're likely going to have three rate hikes this year. But the idea, and the idea being something that it seemed to be embraced by Mr. Powell today was, well, it could be four. I think if nothing else, the good news is we were up 400 yesterday, we're down 300 today, volatility's been moving all over the place, but you're saying this before we've even gotten into March. So if anything else, you're giving that transparency the Fed has been giving us for years.
That's something that I think is so it's positive. It's good to get it out of the me. way in right. terms of the telegraphing of this potential move. Right. But is he really saying that he might be for it? He's still got to have a whole bunch of other people in the room Actually, have to decide that. I don't that think something. it's the rate hikes. It's what it's saying, why he said it. Steve said it exactly in his commentary that it's because he was concerned about fiscal policy, right? So <laughs> he was he was concerned that we're going to um, that we're going to get this big stimulus while the economy is already growing. So that's what I think the market is pricing in, saying, you know what, you're throwing kerosene on a fire here, and the Fed's going to have to not maybe act an extra time. 25 basis points doesn't matter. The market's saying, you know what, He's what also if this thing record, really though. accelerates and margins compress because you can't raise your prices or you get inflation and it's not working. So you have He actually has been on record, though, to, to that point, saying that he thought he, he, he took a step back and said, maybe these tax cuts are going to be less inflationary. So I do believe he's trying to figure out yeah. where he actually stands on this. But if you look at the markets last week, we're at 2700 That's where they were pricing in uh, for. Now they ran him up because they said the, the risk is going to be he's going to be less hawkish, uh, less hawkish. He's going to be more dovish. Today, now you're going to start to see that air come out a little bit. I would say 2700 is the floor getting us back to where we were. And it comes back to uncertainty. So this is what we're saying. So if if today he said uh, the impact of fiscal policy on inflation is uncertain, that's a Fed right now who's saying inflation is uncertain. That's a Fed right now who's saying, you know what? We don't know know what we're going to do. Oh, and by the way, this is the guy that's really... Today, to me, tells me he's a centrist and a pragmatist. So why do we freak out? Why do we freak out? If we know right now that the Fed doesn't know what it's going to do, that it's going to be data dependent, which is basically what the Fed was before Powell, data dependent and open to whatever the the economic data brings you, why did we sell well, because, off? Because it's the they same, confirm right? the market's fears. No, they confirm the market's fears that there's going to be too much stimulus coming into this into this market or into this economy. You've got tax stimulus, then you've got fiscal stimulus, you've got infrastructure spending, you've got all these things. That's what the market's afraid do of. You, and by Powell saying that, he confirmed everybody's do fears. Do you think there's anything in what was heard today that actually algos are also sort of program to react to. Sure, they and, are. Sure. Right. Well, that's what I think. And they is did. Part of, and, and I they think did. they did. On, and that, words, on we, words of the testimony, right. you could see the we were up, going to we're work. We were up sure. 100, 150 right. points at one point this morning, and then suddenly we start giving it back, and the next thing you know, we yeah. towards the end of the day, And we're in the final with, hour, too, right. pretty much. So, so keep an eye on that, too, because you know what? That's something that sooner or later, that's going to be in the past, and then we move forward from there. But that was the reaction today. I, I agree. But I, I, here's where I think we have a healthy disagreement on this desk. I mean, I ultimately believe that if volatility, and you said this last night, Pete, you said vol's been higher, but it hasn't been that elevated for that long. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and I kind of agree with that, although I look at this extended period, we're probably kind of 20 days north of 15 on the VIX, maybe 15, which we haven't been since the fourth quarter of 2015. If you start to price equities at a different volatility, that's a different risk level, mm. at a 10% tenure so in an environment where uh, we, we've already got, I think, valuations that could be argued or uh, up there, price to sales, price to book. Equities are a totally different investment. I think that's a very interesting idea and a good point. I mean, if we are at, for the 10-year yield, close to a four-year high right mm-hmm. now, right now where we stand, plus we've got vol higher, I don't want to pay as much for these stocks, right? Doesn't that factor don't into your Don't you have to be cash? I'm, I'm not yeah. saying... Right. You're not saying you are not saying to be in all cash. People think about the next six months and they think about, can I be in bonds? Well, rates are going higher. Can I be in stocks? A lot of volatility. Some great buys out there. It's clearly, we can, we're going to talk about them tonight. Or I could be in cash because I don't need to do anything right here. Right. 
that's that's a healthy debate. Sure. All right. So with that said, what did you do today? You know, it was a pretty quiet day today, actually. I added to an Intel position that I already had. I also added AMD because I like the chip space. I think those names... You know what? Going forward, there is going to be money. Uh, it, the earnings we were talking about, and Steve talked about, some of the earnings projections going forward for the year. I think there's a lot of reasons why volatility is in the market. I don't know that we hold on to this 15 as long as maybe the rest of the desk thinks right now. And the reason <laughs> I say that is, let's just remember, that's a 1% move every single day from the S&P, every single day. So... It's not as easy as it sounds to 15? hold it a bit. Is that what that is? Is that a great too? At, I mean, at, a, at a 16. At a 16. I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, interesting. Watch large cap tech, and specifically China, because it's been weak. It's been the proxy for China growth. I'm watching Alibaba. That's where I'm long. I have not bought any more yet, but I am looking at it. I took some exposure off in the oil sector. I mean, we've had a tremendous run in that. We had a stronger dollar today. To me, why not just take some off? That's not, you know, not a call like Tim was saying, cash. And I'm joking that he said that. Uh, but I'm saying, <laughs> just be careful here, right? In the S&P 500, we bounced up against 2,800. That's a technical resistance point. Take a little off the table. Maybe a small short-term double bottom on the dollar. Um, I sold some U.S. steel. I sold some commodities like Brian. I think he got a shot because I look at the last pullback. And these stocks are right back near the rally highs. I can get them cheaper. All right, coming up, the biggest media companies in the world could be gearing up for a bidding war like we have never seen before. But the real winner of all the deal talk might surprise you. We will explain. Plus, scared of Bitcoin's wild swings? Well, one 21-year-old hedge fund manager from Queens says he's cracked the crypto code and found a way to profit no matter what Bitcoin does. He'll be here to explain. And later, Pete Nigerian is stepping up to the plate. He says one of the best-performing Dow stocks in the past year is about to break out to even higher highs. He'll tell us why uh, he is so excited about this name. You're watching Fast Money Live from Times Square in New York City. Much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a media deal frenzy as Comcast could be sparking a bidding war among the largest media titans. Julia Borson's in L.A. with all the details on this developing story. Hi, Julia. Well, Melissa, Comcast making a $31 billion all-cash offer for Sky. That's a 16% premium to 21st Century Fox's offer for the nearly two-thirds of the company that Fox doesn't yet own. Now, Comcast is looking to expand its international reach. It's drawn to Sky's 23 million customers with satellite, broadband, and mobile services. Plus, it has broadcasting with news and some valuable sports rights, including English Premier League soccer. Comcast CEO Brian Roberts says he'd be satisfied if he could buy the 61% of Sky that Fox does not yet control, but that he'd like to buy out Fox and own the entire company. As a European market leader, Sky would accelerate Comcast's international strategy, increasing revenues from outside the U.S. to 25% from current 9%. And as we said, we'd be, we will bring investment content and capabilities to drive the growth for the combined businesses. Comcast's offer, of course, pits Comcast against Disney as well as Fox. All three companies' shares dropping today. The Murdochs have been struggling to gain regulatory approval for Fox's deal to buy out the rest of Sky, and James Murdoch is Sky's chairman. Sky shares, though, soaring about 20 percent today as investors anticipate a counterbid. Fox saying it, quote, remains committed to its recommended cash offer for Sky announced on the 15th of December 2016. Now, Fox had said that its deal should close by the end of June, though that timing is likely to 
change. No comment from Disney. Now, those aren't the only media stocks moving today on M&A Chatter. Lionsgate shares ending up about 2% on a report that Hasbro is close to acquiring that company for at least $40 a share. That's about a 37% premium to where the stock is trading now. Melissa? All right. Thank you, Julia. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. And as the so-called legacy media titans battle it out, quietly Netflix is sitting pretty now worth $128 billion, more than Time Warner, Fox, and Viacom. In fact, only Comcast and Disney are bigger. So as the media wars heat up, should you just keep it simple? and buy Netflix. Pete. You know, it sounds too simple to say that, but my answer would be yes. And I know Guy Dami's talked about this a lot as well. We talk about the growth that they have mm -hmm. consistently, but it's also about the content. I mean, they continue to grow in the content space. In 2018, that's going to continue. It's going to be huge. The commitment of the $8 billion that they have for content and everything. But when you look at the international growth, that is what still, it's remarkable, quite frankly, how much growth they're getting internationally and continue in the U.S. That slowed down, but the international is incredible. 11%. So, so I, I don't disagree with you in that. I think the revenue is very stable and they have this growth. But look at how it's traded, right? I mean, we've had a tremendous run in this thing. We're now talking about higher interest rates. So this is one of those stocks that should suffer pretty much in any kind of a downturn that we have. So I'd be very concerned about the position of this, and I'd wait. Although we're talking about a relative basis. sold though. that hard when Can we I went on the question. I know, but we're at the highs. But, but uh, what, what rallied back just as hard off yes. the lows? It was I all these but momentum you buy it, Right, but do you want to buy it at the highs? Why wouldn't you wait for a sell-off? What's your question, Tim? I've got a question. As, as sure, a guy Tim. that's been so wrong oh, on look, Netflix for a long time, raising nice. my hand, yes. that's, that's, that's what question. polite people do on this show. The guy has been wrong. <laughs> Not on this Tell show, me how to value this company. You don't value it like a media company because it's clearly you know, way too expensive on a content basis. It's still very debatable right now. You don't value it on that of a core kind of conduit play or essentially uh, the, the pipe that gets it into your house. So what's the Tech valuation growth. for this company? That's I mean, the, why why that's, are we trading at this multiple? Because obviously we are. Because they're trading it like a tech growth company. There's no logical answer that's going to make you happy about it. And it, it doesn't trade. I agree with you on every metric that you just named. It just doesn't trade like that. It trades like a tech growth company, and you can't put a multiple so on tech. would you buy one of the legacy media plays? Then? Yes, I would. First of all, our, our parent company, Comcast, as, as we know, and as we always say, um, is very, very cheap on a trailing 12-month basis. And I bring that up just because, in fact, uh, the stock's had a big move based upon some of the M&A and what they may or may and not be And you want to keep your job. In. Just, and, I'm well, just no, joking. No, but but as, as you heard the chairman say, this is ultimately about an international growth strategy that gives them 20%, 5% of their earnings outside of the United States. It's a company that ultimately, I think, scale right here in the choice right. assets that Sky is very complimentary. A deal, by the way, that looks a lot easier to get through than the Disney Sky deal sure. and, and Disney Fox deal. And, so, and that, that's why I like it. I have a question as well. I have nice a question. Oh, yeah. I recognize <laughs> myself. And my question is, <laughs> would you rather? <laughs> and I, I think Brian Roberts and Steve Burke are not listening. So answer honestly. Yeah. Would you rather Comcast or Netflix? Netflix. Uh, not even a hesitation. Without question. Yeah. I just... After a 50% move yeah. and, and an unexplainable valuation, you guys want to own this stock. After 50 I mean, this stock has gone up 50% year to date. Well, yeah. if, you, if you say give me my time horizon, a, a longer term, I agree with you. Comcast is a longer term bet, more stable environment. Netflix, extremely volatile, but I it is a growthy name. I would have said the opposite. That no, surprises well, me. I would have said Netflix is a longer term. Netflix is a longer term play because they're positioned for, yes. for future, the, you know, streaming, blah, blah, blah. I think you're going to get your growth up front and eventually you have to start pricing in all that growth. So Comcast longer term, Netflix shorter term. 
Well, for, for me, it's, it's not a question. I'm certainly not going to flip now, especially on a relative <laughs> value play. But, but ultimately, what's going on with, with Disney and what's going on possibly with Comcast? Right. They are getting bigger. They are controlling content. They're going to have more to then deliver sure. themselves. Obviously, Comcast already can. Quick. Disney's can. getting in that business. For me, it's all about trade position, and I'd much rather be in Comcast at this point in time. Netflix has had too much of a run. It's all about risk-reward and trade position. Stick to Bitcoin. Still ahead, Square is sinking after hours. Got wow. to what has been an epic rally for the stock. We'll hear from the CEO, Jack Dorsey, later this hour. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. How would you like to make money on Bitcoin if it goes up, down, or nowhere at all? No, it's just a simple strategy devised by a 21-year-old genius from Queens. And he'll be here to tell us how it works. Plus, Pete's bringing the heat. Pitching one Dow stock that's up over 40% in the last year. And he says the rally is just starting. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retail seeing a big reversal today as the XRT, the retail ETF, fell more than 2% after a strong start early in the session. Still in the last three months, names like Macy's, Dillard's, and Target have held their own against Amazon. So if you're putting fresh money to work, would you rather Amazon or traditional brick and mortar? Grasso, what would you say to that? So I've been a fan of Amazon for a long time. And when you look at this chart, it seems like it never wants to end. So I, I would say you have to take this. What is your time horizon here? Because the brick and mortar has been so beat upon that you can see that pop last a quarter or two more. So I would say, would you rather right now yeah. in a vacuum you would say bricks for the and next mortar. bricks and mortar? Wow. Well, our next guest says retail's rally not over yet. Agrees with Grassley here. Let's go off the charts and see what the charts say. Chris Verona, Strategus Research Partners, is here. Hi, Chris. Hi, Melissa. So we have three names that we want to talk about today, and the first of which uh, reported this is Macy's. It's really been sideways for the last three months. I think what's important, when you look at the volume surges here, all on updates, volume surge today on an update. So the stock is being accumulated here. We think that's a positive sign going forward. And when we take a step back and look at the bigger picture, this is the three-year chart bumping right up against that 28-29 level we think ultimately this turns up. It's outperforming in a tough tape. We think that's a sign of strength. Two others here. And when we look uh, at the name, I think what's most important, there's 23 analysts that cover it. There's only six buys. So the street still doesn't like it. And I think importantly, the current price above the average analyst target. So the street has to bring up their numbers. That's a positive. Two other names here. Tapestry. This is the old coach putting in a big bottom. Higher low, higher low, higher low, up through 49.50. We think this is a $60 stock, so improving here, uh, certainly in retail. And then lastly, one of our favorites, Lululemon. Dead money for six years. Just starting to push up against this 80, 81 level. We think it gets through there and it goes a lot higher. So Macy's, Coach, Lulu, we think three spots here that look pretty good in a tough tape. I think Chris comes over. Oh, what yeah, do you guys I mean, think? Right, okay. Yeah, come on Didn't over, Chris. Bring him on. Karen will bring the chair in. Thank you, Karen. It's good to see you, brother. Um, on that last chart, Lulu, how convinced are you that it will break above that level? Because it looks like it's tried a couple times and it's failed. We feel so pretty good here. Because it's passing a test right now, right? This is a tough tape. The market's been uncomfortable. And this one is finally showing us for the first time in five or six years, it can outperform in a tough environment. Mm. That's what we want to own. So we're looking for names that have passed that test 
over the last three, four, five weeks. So, so Chris, going, going to that, people talk about there's no such thing as a triple top, right? Sure. So, one, is that true in technical analysis? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a triple top in a technical analysis book. Mm. Um, and what would th convince you, if it is true, what would convince you that this is going to be that mythical triple top? Is it a volume thing? What do you look for to say this breakout isn't going to happen? I think volume will be important here. What we want to see in any breakout is evidence that the stock is being accumulated, much like we're seeing with a Macy's right now. On every update, volume has been big. So that's the signal that we're looking for going forward to say, you know what, this is more than just a head fake. This is the real thing. I think that'll be very important in this $80, $81 level. Can you see a scenario where we played Would You Rather? Can you see a scenario where Amazon and a Macy's or Amazon and a Target rally, rally simultaneous, or does it have to be give and take between the two? I don't think it's give and take, and we're seeing it right now. And we have a rule. Our rule is don't sell anything until it hurts you. And until Amazon hurts you, we can't sell it. Now, we can manage risk, right? And I think there might be an opportunity here. But as far as can both of these work at the same time, well, they're doing it right now. So I think it's evidence going forward that they're not mutually exclusive uh, ideas. Outside of these names, how does Walmart look? Uh, obviously, tough week last week. Yeah. But right back to support here, right? So right back at the 200. The problem I have with Walmart is the sector it's in. Consumer staples is just not leadership. So I'm not sure we have group sponsorship behind this name to carry it uh, if things get tough. Discretionary has outperformed staples. So I'd rather own uh, a name in that group versus staples here. You were in Macy's? I'm out of Macy's. Out of Macy's uh, I, I traded the stock yeah. you know, from sure. 20 to 27 and kind of felt like we needed some reinforcement to get it constructive on a long-term investment. I, I guess what I, I, the question finally comes from that is, is it an environment where Amazon positioning is, is too extreme and there are too many guys on the side of the boat because no one is negative on Amazon? Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, and this has really played itself out over the last four or five weeks, what was leadership going into this? has by and large remained leadership coming out of this. This is not a leadership change. So I think we still have to view this advance in an Amazon as the same advance that's been with us for the last several years. Mm -hmm. So until it fails that test, we can't sell it yet. Mm -hmm. All right, Chris, thanks. Nice Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of retail, quick programming note here. Tomorrow night on Mad Money, Jim Cramer will be interviewing the CEO of Under Armour, Kevin Plank. That is tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern time, so you won't want to miss that. Still ahead, check out our big after-hours mover, Square Sinking. Well, Weight Watchers gains. <laughs> it is gaining. <laughs> nice job, uh, The company conference calls are underway. We'll hear from Square CEO Jack Dorsey, find out what Weight Watchers uh, said about DJ Khaled. Khaled? Khaled? Uh, sure. Khaled. No, yes. I'm not old enough to know. <laughs> Why not? All right, plus Khaled. Pete stepping up to the plate. Is it? Uh, sure. You would know? All right, getting ready to pitch the one <laughs> down stock that he says uh, is about to surge. And get this, it's already the, up more than 40% in the past guy. year. Will the other traders agree? Find out when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have got a news alert on Papa John sinking after hours. Let's go to Courtney Reagan in the newsroom. Court. Hi, Melissa. So a couple things happening here. First, we have earnings from Papa John's. It was a earnings miss, but also some weak comps. And then on the company's conference call, CEO Steve Ritchie says that the company, Papa John's, and the NFL have mutually decided to end their partnership. So Papa John's Pizza will no longer be the official pizza of the league, which they have been since 2010. However, Papa John's will continue to invest in the NFL through its 22-team deals in local markets. But the NFL is expected to have a replacement pizza sponsor before the 2018 season begins. Papa John's shares are down about 6.5% after hours.
Okay, thank you very much, Courtney Reagan. Of course, this uh, is after the former CEO, uh, John Schnatter, actually made some comments on an earnings call blaming the NFL for some of its pizza problems. Um, and here we are. Which, in which in and of itself was making a social statement. I mean, you know, so right. I right. think this was, it's not just the NFL. I think it's a company that got on the wrong side of, of really, you know, what's a, a big dialogue in our country. Uh, you get to a place where the valuation in a very competitive space, by the way, there's a lot of room for consolidation in the industry. Um, I, I don't jump in on this news, though. Domino's? So, yeah, I mean, Domino's is up 20% year to date. It's been a performance. I mean, look at the stock. Look at the chart. It's really hard to bet against Domino's. And obviously, uh, Papa John's, their loss has been their gain. And I, don't, I, I think even without them, Domino's cons consistently performs and will continue to do and, so. And didn't Guy work there? <laughs> He Domino's. did. He did work there for a small He worked the dough. And UPS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the brown shorts. Shake Shack. I mean, he can't hold down a job, apparently. Anyway, from a fumble to a home run, it is time for an instant replay. Back in August, Pete stepped up to the plate to pitch Apple. It's the management. Tim Cook. Everybody else talks about he's taking his eye off the ball. He has not taken his eye off the ball. Everybody talks about, well, it's just about the iPhone. It's not just about the iPhone. As a matter of fact, it's about the growth and his vision out forward talking about services. That was a great call, Pete. Apple shares up double digits since that pitch. So what do you do now with the stock, Pete? You hold on to it because I think Warren Buffett's right. I, I actually still think it's the early innings for Apple. I know a lot of people would say, you know what, how about the phone? And they're having problems with the next generation of phone. I disagree. I think that, that will, that's just a part of the Apple story. The, so, the real story is services. And the next one, everybody's going to be talking about this, wearables. The growth in their wearables is mm. absolutely extraordinary. And nobody seems to want to talk about so it. Yeah, hold on to it. Yeah. Wow. All right, since you hit it out of the park with Apple this. Pete, we want you to head over to the plasma and give us another home run idea. All right. Well, today I'm going back to Minnesota. I got United Health. This is a really great company. I think it's well run. And as always, where do I start with when we talk about these on a fast pitch? I talk about the management and the experience that they've got. Now, the CEO who had been there for over a decade has just stepped down. The next man up, Wickman, is doing going to be doing an outstanding job. He's already been there, though. He's been there for 20-plus years, and he's been running domestic and international. So this is a guy who already knows what he's doing, and I think he is the right guy. They talked about that in the most recent conference call about how strong of a leader he's going to be going forward. The strong fundamental story. The backdrop right now is multiple different areas. When you look at this, it normally trades at a 20 PE. It actually right now is trading at an 18, maybe even as low as a 16, depending on where you actually are with your earnings going forward. So when you look at some of the fundamental story right now, plus the taxes from 37 to 24, there's a lot of different elements right now that I think are very bullish. And every single quarter they beat and raise, and that's what they do. It's impressive growth as well. When you look at the growth in the revenues over the last decade, it's been over 15%. So when you go across the entire story of what's going on right now with United Health, yes, it got up here pretty high. It was near this 250 level right here. It had a little bit of a pullback. It's about 6% off of those highs. I think this is a name very much like Humana January last year that screamed higher. I think this can go closer towards 300. Hey, hey, Pete, I, yeah. I, I love the story, too, but I'm concerned about – I am a little concerned about the valuation. I'm also concerned about a slowdown in the optum uh, or some margin compression in that part of their business, which has been huge. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'm not as worried about that because going forward, I think there are some strengths that they have in terms of some of the margin. And I think a lot of the business story here, you know, there's the, the beauty of what they have done is they have diversified areas that are actually feeding into United Health. So because of that, I'm less concerned about that. 
All right, no more questions. Time to vote. You buying Pete's pitch on United Health? Grasso, what it's do you It's kind of hard to bet against Pete. I'm going to say I'm going to buy it. I think it has room to rally maybe another 10% to the old highs, old recent highs. Speakers. Uh, I love the pitch, Pete, but it's a you know H for me. That's okay. I don't want to buy into it at these levels. I was, you know what's funny? I read that and I thought, Uno? 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 What? What is that? No, no, you know H. You know All right. Yeah, I, you know. Tim. I, well, look, I, I, I think Pete's a buy on this one. He's a healthy guy. Here he's in the iron zone himself right now. So uh, <laughs> there you go, Pete. Two yeses, one no on this desk. We want to know what you think out there. Are you buying Pete's pitch for United Health? Uh, vote in our Twitter poll right now. Go to CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. Plus, Square and Weight Watchers uh, surging in the after-hour session. Actually, Square is down 2.5%. This conference calls, though, are both underway. We'll hear from the C-suite on what drove the quarters. Much more Fast Money right after this. Hear the music. It's time for our earnings whip. Square and Weight Watchers both on the move in the after-hour session. The conference calls underway right now. We've got full team coverage. Deirdre Bosa in San Francisco. She's been monitoring the Square call. Courtney Reagan's at headquarters on the Weight Watchers call. So, Deirdre, we started off with you. Hey, Melissa, well, Square continues to deliver. And for the first time this quarter, sharing numbers on its cash app. This is its peer-to-peer payments app that competes with Venmo and recently added Bitcoin buying and selling. Square saying that it has 7 million monthly active users as of December. For reference, PayPal hasn't released that metric for Venmo yet, but it is thought of as the industry leader in this increasingly competitive space. So Square may be making inroads, and it generated a lot of buzz for cash when it started adding Bitcoin capabilities late last year. CEO Jack Dorsey was asked about that and the future of Bitcoin at Square on the earnings call. Here's what he said. Bitcoin for us is is not um, not stopping at buying and selling. We, we do believe that this is a transformational technology um, for our industry, and we want to learn as quickly as possible. Uh, we also believe that it, it does provide uh, an opportunity to get more people access to the financial system. And um, certainly that's in stores of asset, but also ultimately over time through through currency. So we're going to have a learning mindset and make sure that we are, are learning and, and leading here. So, Melissa, we can't really see the financial impact of Bitcoin on the Square platform just yet. But as Dorsey says, we may just be seeing the beginning of cryptocurrencies on Square. Dorsey says that he's thinking about it in terms of the future of the payments industry. Back over to you. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa, monitoring the Square call. Grosso, you've been a longtime believer in the stock. And I'm still a believer in the stock, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see the stock uh, pairing off on some of its losses and probably up tomorrow. Gross payment volume was up 31 percent. They're adding larger merchants. It used to be a boutique payment service. Larger merchants are signing on. Adjusted revenue is up 47 percent. So I still think buzzwords are Bitcoin, but I still think the macro story is intact, and I think they go higher. And it's about square services, not just about payment. But, Steve, are you comfortable with that this stock does seem to be trading in line with Bitcoin, the correlation now is getting kind of crazy for a company that I agree we met with management at one point. They're doing a fantastic job, truly small business in a box. But, you know, yeah, so it's not I, what I you want if this is the company, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm 
I'm going to beg to differ that it's, you know, correlation is not causation. So I hear you. If you look at it on a chart, you could say there's a correlation between Bitcoin. But I don't think it's one to one ratio. I don't think that's the reason why it's rallying. I think that a lot of the stuff was in the numbers. But I do believe that you'll see the stock probably up tomorrow or the next couple of days. You did a pretty good job of making clear that it's a, an educational opportunity right. for Square. It's not right. anything that that Square is seeing the impact of right now. Well, maybe not. Right. But so I, and I agree with with Steve in this and that what you have here is a company that's growing and they're creating a network. So this is all about network effects. Once you have that network effect, then you can start selling people services just like Apple does. Now for me, and I think this is what Jack was getting at, is that the the Bitcoin is a leader in this, right? So you look at what happened with Robinhood. They opened up, they got a million and a half people sign up for their app in uh, four days. If you can do the same type of thing with Square hmm. and increase your network, then yeah, you know what? Bitcoin is going to have an impact. You may not be able to measure it, but you're going to get a lot more users. All right, let's get a check meantime here on Weight Watchers. That stock, I'm going to use this again. Here we go. Gaining in the after yes. hour <laughs> session. Uh, Courtney Reagan's in the newsroom with the details. Hey, Court. Hi there. Yeah, the shares may be gaining, but I think that the members are losing. So Weight Watchers turning in a pretty strong finish to the year with profit and revenues coming in above expectation. Shares up more than 7% here after hours on the results as the company also puts up a pretty strong revenue forecast for 2018. So services revenue, that grew 16%. That's a bigger business unit than that product business that's smaller, but it also saw sales grow about 2%. Membership of 23% for the fourth quarter. Weight Watchers shares really soared in the past three months in particular, up about 67%. On the call, CEO Mindy Grossman points to marketing success from both Oprah Winfrey and DJ Khaled, thanks to his 9 million-plus followers on his social media accounts following his weight loss journey. Weight Watchers partnering up with Freshwell for branded meal kits and grocery retailers. That's going to come later this year. The company also just said it added its first chief brand officer or is adding her, Gail Tilford. She comes from Unilever. Melissa, back over to you. DJ Khaled. Khaled Mel. Yeah. Did you hear yeah. that? All right, yeah, All right. I heard it. Nice job, Courtney. He's on that Thank show you, before. Courtney. So educational. Hey, somebody knows how to pronounce his name, Mel. Um, this is a seasonally strong period for Weight Watchers, right? People usually... Why are you looking at Brian? <laughs> I'm like, actually, actually, I was looking at you, Tim. <laughs> but not because you, not because anybody on this has needs Weight Watchers. But um, seasonally strong period for Weight Watchers. People end of the year say, you know, they want to lose weight, et cetera. So it makes sense. But it's yeah. been, it's on, a, it's been on a roll. No pun okay. intended. It's been on roll for, for quite a long time, but actually if you really go back, who is the best? I'm not kidding when Oprah. I say this. Oprah. Oprah, Oprah yeah. is the activist investor. Uh, if if you ever wanted one, she you just look at what she can carry a lot yeah. of weight. <laughs> You're right. big presence I'll never forget when she took in that huge position, that was the first thing that came to mind was this is a gal who actually really can move things around. She I tipped mean, she the really scales. Can. She really Definitely tipped the tipped scales, scales for me. It made it a lot stronger. No, but but the interesting <laughs> thing is, it, look at the growth that Courtney just got done talking it's about. It's big there. growth, right? 16% yeah, here, no. 24%. Pound, pound, you bet on a per pound. I think he should be overweight. We could do this online. You should do this all night. <laughs> DJ Khaled though, opens up a whole new audience, yes. right? Men, hefty dude, younger people. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah look at And he, <laughs> he does this. He, he does this Instagram I heard, stuff. I heard when DJ Khaled turns sideways, you can't even see him anymore. <laughs> He's sure fading away true. to a ton. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Just a beard now. Anyway, Sorry. all right. Let's move on. We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> but we're sticking with earnings. Salesforce reporting after the bell tomorrow. Option traders are betting the cloud stock is set to soar. Let's get out to Michael in Austin with more. Hi, Mike. Hi there. So we did see above average options activity in Salesforce today, and bullish bets were definitely outpacing the bearish ones. 
The most active options were the March 110 calls. We saw over 4,000 of those trading for an average price of about $7.80. So those are people that are betting that the 4% implied move is likely to be the, to the upside for Salesforce, which is probably explained by their 60% plus EPS growth. One thing I will say, though, on Weight Watchers, after New Year's, I signed up. So there's male representation. There's male representation. You there's men. Maybe not slimmer, a young one, Mike. but you do look yeah, slimmer. Go, I think it's know. working. Mike, how do you handle Sick. how do you handle the Chinese restaurant that you love to hang out at, though? I mean, it's yeah, you know, see though, so that's like not you. that's not permissible. You you have to look at you have to look at the menu. There are zero points items. My Chinese restaurant ain't on it. You, you, look, you right. look sculpted right now. Um, Mike, thanks. Thank you, Mike Co. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, how would you like to profit from all the Bitcoin volatility? Well, one 21-year-old has figured out a way to make money no matter which way Bitcoin goes, and he'll be here to tell us how in just a few minutes. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, live at the NASDAQ market site. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Simple question here. What's the price of Bitcoin? Well, the answer is not as simple as the Bitcoin bug at the lower left of your screen, and that's created a windfall for one very bright 21-year-old. Stefan Chin is the founder of Virgil Capital, a hedge fund that focuses on the different prices that Bitcoin is trading at on different exchanges. Stefan, we welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, so you put your college studies on hold in order to do this, and essentially you take advantage of the arbitrage that exists across exchanges? Yep, exactly. So there's a bunch of different price discrepancies between all the markets and Bitcoin right now. And this is quite obvious for people like us at Virgil Capital who try and take advantage of these opportunities to make a lot of money. How exactly do you do this? Yeah, it's a good question. So right now, um, unlike the traditional equities markets or the forex markets or something like that, you've got almost hundreds of different exchanges, each with their own different prices and different competing traders, right? So what we have is essentially a proprietary technology that connects to all these different exchanges and looks for these price differences and buys low in one and sells high in another. So that's what we do. It can't be as simple as that. I mean, I'm sure there are some yeah. exchanges where you can't easily transfer foreign money. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> so when people first get into Bitcoin, they see these like 20, 20%, 30% differences in price between exchanges and their mind is boggled because there's nowhere else in the world where this exists, right? But it's obviously not as easy as it sounds, like you just mentioned. So essentially what we do is we look for the price differences as fast as we can, and we try and gobble them up before anyone else gets there, right? And like you said before, there are these huge barrier of entries behind actually trading in these different markets. So it's not as easy as, say, just putting some US dollar in a US exchange account, like Coinbase, and then selling it in Korea, right. for example, right? You've got to have some banking relation, for example, in Korea, or some way to actually access those different markets in the different countries, which Steven, not everyone has. So I, I'm curious, do you do it just with Bitcoin or do you do it with other uh, digital currencies? Yeah, it's a good question. So there are hundreds of cryptocurrencies, right? And what this means is there are hundreds of different markets to do arbitrage over. Some might be more attractive than others. We primarily do three different currencies. That's, crypto, uh, that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ripple. Yeah. Real quick question for you. So do you go home every single night flat or do you take some risk on overnight as well? Yeah, that's a good question. So primarily what we are is a market neutral fund, meaning that we're not exposed at all to the ups and downs or the roller coasters of the cryptocurrency market. Mm. To some extent, unfortunately, because you miss out on a lot of FOMO, right? So that means that no matter what happens, even if the market goes up or down, uh, we're still uh, unexposed or completely hedged against the risk of Bitcoin crashing, for example. Do you see that arbitrage opportunity diminishing over time? 
Yeah, it's a good question. So if we actually look at the traditional Forex markets or the stock markets, it took a long time for these arbitrage opportunities to actually diminish. For example, uh, there was the difference between offshore yuan and onshore yuan in China, for example, which actually took many, many years to diminish, even though a lot of institutions saw the differences in prices, but they took a long time to actually capture those opportunities. I expect the same thing to happen with cryptocurrency as long as there's volatility, because whenever there's volatility, there's price inefficiencies, right? And if you're similar to me, who believes there will be a lot of volatility in the long run, I give it a longer timeline than it going away in the next few right. months, for example. Last quick question. We got 10 seconds. Sure, What's sure, the best arbitrage opportunity right now in the markets, taking into oh. consideration the ease of entry into each market? Yeah, that's a good question. I hate to say this because it's competing against us. But obviously, if you look at the Asian versus the Western markets, try and get into those as quick as you can. So South Korea, for instance, or uh, South Korea is a bit harder, but China, for example, China. Japan. Japan is a good one. Yeah. Stefan, great to have yeah. you with us. Hope you come Thank back. You so Stefan awesome. Chin. Yeah. What do you think, Beeks? We talked about the arbitrage yeah. before. It's it's kind of hard for the average person it's, it's, to do. Listen, it's 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 labor intensive. So right. Stefan obviously has a uh, computer program plugs into the API that you're able to do this. If you have those skills, that great. You can do it by hand. It's just a little labor intensive to do it. And I agree, these uh, arbitrage opportunities will be around for a while because there's still a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built and friction out there that's causing this. All right. Up next, are you buying Pete's pitch for United Health? It's neck and neck right now, so you want to go to Twitter right now and vote. There's still time. At CNBC Fast Money is where the poll is. We will reveal the results right after this. You know, we were off for a while, and you know what song I just can't get out of my head? Sad song, Mel. Oh, no. Tony Braxton's Don't Break My Heart. Thank oh, God man. America didn't buy Pete's pitch because I just love yeah. Tony Braxton and the song is it great. Makes you know, it's lovely. It's, it's lovely. lovely. It's not lovely. Um, yeah. Anyway, time for the final trade, Pete. I'm going to stick with the chips. Steve and I earlier were on the closing bell. Intel, I think this thing's going higher. Giddy up. Steve. I think you might have a shot to buy this a little bit cheaper, but Alibaba, I'm still long it. I would look to add. Brian Kelly. So you may want to hedge your portfolio. We know that things are sensitive to interest rates. Buy TBT to do that. That way you get the best of both worlds. Huh? Tim, you made this your ringtone, right? This is my ringtone. And, and by the way, that TJ Khaled guy could lose Khaled. 50 pounds just by shaving that beard. Uh, God, that's <laughs> a shot. Wow. Cisco Enterprise is going bananas. These guys just gave you numbers. I think Great stocks call. going higher. All right. Higher. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.